Welcome to Property Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks the hot topics of property and explores how they affect you. I'm Alice Stoltz. In this episode, we learn what to do when you're ready to take the plunge and sell your home. And then we unpack the domain first home buyer reports findings. Selling a property sounds simple, and with homes turning over faster than ever, vendors are keen to list and get the best price they can while the market's hot. But selling can come with unexpected costs and roadblocks. Sharing her expert advice on all things selling, Shelley Craft, host of The Block and licensed real estate agent, joins us today. Shelley, welcome back to Property Unpacked. Well, thank you so much for having me, Alice. It's lovely to speak to you, albeit virtual today. Indeed. Now, Shell, I know so many people who sort of oscillate between should I sell, should I not sell and just can't quite get across the line. But the people that do make that decision to sell, what are the first steps they need to take? Well, the first thing I'd like to say is congratulations because it is a massive decision to decide to sell, whether it's an investment property or your family home, uh, to make those first steps and say, yes, we're going to do this. Let's get started. Um, yeah, all power to you because it is, it's a huge commitment either way. The first steps for me are always to get the ball rolling with your solicitor. Now, of course, this uh, differentiates between certain states as to who's responsible for getting the contract in order, but always let your solicitor know that you are thinking of selling and they can start to get the ball rolling from their end. The most important thing, I guess, around the home is to make sure there are no surprises that could hold up proceedings when it finally comes to getting that deal. So there are things like your pool compliance, making sure that your fence is all ticked off. Um, if you have done any renovations around the house, make sure you have all those certificates in order so that there are no surprises for you or the potential purchaser at the end of the day. If you're an investor and you've done a big reno, make sure you've got your occupational certificate before you even decide <laughs> that you are going to sell. Um, and of course, check in with your solicitor on all those details. And then you know there aren't going to be any nasty things that will hold up the deal at the end of the day. Mm. And Shelley, are you suggesting that you engage the solicitor before engaging an agent? How does that sort of timeline work? Look, again, it does vary between states, Alice, as you know. In New South Wales, where I am, um, your solicitor does do the draft of the contract. In other states, uh, Queensland, I know in Victoria, it, it does come down to the agent. But I would always say your solicitor at the end of the day is going to have to know that you're selling, so you may as well speak to them first. Mm. And I always think it's a bit like having an annual health, a physical health check. It's always good to know the value of your house before you actually make that decision, just so you ensure that all expectations are aligned with what you might need to sell for along with what the agent thinks it's worth in this market. Absolutely, absolutely. The next big one I'd say is if you have tenants, make sure you have the conversation with them early on in the piece as well. Uh, whether that needs to be in writing or not, that will come down to your leasing agent, I suppose. But to have an open conversation, to have that open dialogue with your tenant, ultimately at the end of the day, they're going to be the one saying yes or no to open for inspection or whether they'd prefer by appointment. That's sort of something you'll need to work out with them. And of course, they could be potentially having to move as well. So giving everyone as much advance notice as you can, have those conversations early and hope that you're all on the same page. And are they prepared to actually present your home the way you would want your home presented for sale? If you have tenants, they may not have the care that you would like them to have come open for inspections. 
Um, and of course, work out with them where they are in their lease. And again, the legalities of them potentially deciding to leave early um, and what you're going to do about that, the potential of them wanting to stay on and whether prospective buyers uh, need to be aware that it will be sold with a tenant. Just have those conversations early in the piece. And again, no surprises. And that leads us to my next question, Shall I just want to talk about the costs involved with selling. I think there's so much sort of interest around the costs associated with buying. We know about stamp duty and all those sort of sorts of things. But obviously there are costs in selling and it does differ from state to state. But can you just sort of give us a, a a broad brushstroke look at what the costs are involved with selling? Oh, look, again, that is a tricky one between state to state. Obviously, your agency costs vary uh, with commission, what they might want paid up front for marketing and that sort of thing. Um, and, we, you know, we can chat about commission uh, in, in a little moment. Again, your surveillancing um, or solicitor's costs are there. Big one to think about, and this is probably um, for our holiday rental market or here in Byron Bay, where a lot of people do use their homes as holiday homes. Uh, for part of the year. They might go on a holiday themselves and let their house out or put it on Airbnb. Are you going to be hit with capital gains at the end of the day? And maybe that's a big expense that you didn't consider. Um, do you use your home in these COVID situations uh, as an office or do you have an established office uh, space in your home that could also affect your takeout or your capital gains at the end of the day? And moving expenses. Um, again, this can be huge. If, you, if you're not settling or simultaneously settling or moving straight into a new property, storage comes into that. Um, of course, getting all those odd jobs done around the house um, before you move, that could end up being an expense that you hadn't really planned for. And then coming down to the marketing of the property, which does vary between agencies. And I think also one that I really stand behind is the sort of bake in the case cost of styling of a property because I really do think that that can make such a difference and whether or not you that means removing furniture and just sort of reworking with what you've got or taking everything out and getting professionals in to style the whole property is up to the vendor but it is a cost that I think is worth baking into that figure and having an allowance for it because it does make such a difference when you're showing your house. Absolutely. And are you moving the whole family out during this process? Do you have hotel fees or are you renting somewhere else? Absolutely, Alice. And that decluttering is probably one of those things I'd, I'd put in there as well. Um, as you say, whether you're having it professionally styled, whether you're going to give it a try yourself. If you've got an agent, hopefully you have a great one that is going to help you with that along the way and offer you suggestions. If you've got a good friend that is prepared to be super honest with you and will come in and say, <laughs> you know what? Um, all those beautiful family photos, the 400 of them that you have up on that particular wall, love it when it's your home, but maybe that's something you want to think about removing and covering up all those nail holes as well. So as you say, the decluttering and then the styling on top of that, yeah. uh, there will be expenses there. I think it's a really easy thing for people to do is just to go to lots of other, lots of inspections themselves. And when they walk, you know, whether or not they want the property or not is a different story. When you walk through the house, think what's wrong with this house? And often it is usually there's too much clutter or it's dirty or it's not, you know, clean enough or something. Um, but, you know, when you go through inspections, you really begin to work out what it is that helps sell a home. And I think that's a really um, important part of the process for a vendor to experience themselves, to, to be aware of what they can apply with that within their own property. Yes. And I've always said buyers want to be able to imagine themselves living in the space, not living with you in the space. <laughs> <laughs> 
two very, very different prospects. Yeah, so true. And probably not your three teenage boys or something or, you know, like all these things that are sort of hockey sticks and footies and all that, that all needs to go somewhere. And I think that, you know, if people aren't in that situation or stage of life, they're just like, oh, my gosh, this is a house that's not, not, not for me, you know. That's right. And, look, pets as well yeah what do you do with the dog show what happens to the dog during this process that's a really good point look we have moved we have moved that many times that my poor dogs have um <laughs> yes have frequent flyer miles <laughs> happening at the local kennel but i do i move them out not only to give the garden a little bit of a break but there's certain smells in your house that perhaps you don't notice because you live with them every day and pets are one of those so i would say have the heart to remove your pets from the space in the lead up to the sale process as well as through out the sales process if you can. Um, having open for inspections and having to do something with the dog or the cat, it also makes them a little bit nervous. You know, this is their home and this is their sanctuary. And to have, you know, your dog feeling that sense of unease and perhaps, you know, it plays on their nerves as well. So, you know, for the peace of mind and the mental health of your pets, I say remove them from the premises during the sales process. Now, Shelley, is patience and preparedness key in a smooth selling process? And I think I know the answer to that, but I suppose the question is how do we maintain that patience and preparedness to be able to have a smooth process? I would say patience, preparedness and realistic expectation. Mm. (laughs) I'll add that in. You know, we all want the best price for our home, but let's be honest, you know, you know what houses in your area are selling for. You also know what you're prepared to settle for. And having that price in mind or that number in mind is absolute key. And if you are patient enough to wait for that price, that's one thing. If you're prepared to make alterations to that price, depending on how the market is reacting to your home, absolutely. But let's be realistic as well. You know, we know that agents can get you all pumped up with a, with a high valuation. Some of these agencies use that to get the listing because, you know, they're counting on a certain amount of listings per week or per month to make their business model work. But you know what your house is worth. And if you aren't prepared to do all those little jobs to fix it up, you can be realistic about that too and go, well, uh, you know, I'm prepared to settle for a lower price because I just can't be bothered doing the work. I don't have time to do the work or I have no way of doing the work. And you can always, you know, put that in with your listing price. Mm. And look, I think at the end of the day, if you're engaging an agent, which obviously most Australians do do that, there is a reason for that. And whether you like it or not, you are kind of uh, signing up to taking their advice and help and then steering you through that campaign. But so often I say people, I say people say, oh, well, I won't listen to the agent anymore. And it was like, you made that decision next weeks ago. You kind of need to follow through with it, I believe, if you have committed to it. Well, if you've chosen the right agent, and this is certainly one of one of our keys with our um, mistakes that vendors can make is is a listening to family and friends when it comes to selling because everyone is a property expert these days. Um, you have to choose the right agent for you, and that doesn't necessarily mean the person that you bought the house from five, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, Think back to that experience, but definitely shop around and find an agent that you can have those candid conversations with, that you do feel comfortable with. Often our homes are our greatest asset. And if you're selling, you're doing it for, for personal financial reasons, you want to have confidence in that person that they're doing the right thing for you 
as well. So having a great relationship with your agent is key and you shouldn't have to listen to anybody else's advice along the way if you have that relationship with your agent. And I think also not necessarily the agent that is quoting the highest price for the property. So often I see people sort of seduced by this idea if I go with X agent I might get an extra $100,000 while the more safe pair of hands might be more realistic potentially. Um, So you need to really weigh that up in the process and don't be I suppose too greedy in just going with the one that is offering the most amount of money when it might not actually come into fruition. That's all right. And look, again, have a look at back what they've sold in recent times. Some of them could be a fluke. Um, you know, there are those anomalies, particularly on auction day where somebody, as we see on, on block auction days, uh, sometimes somebody just loves the house so, so much that they're prepared to pay well beyond expectation for that home. Um, that that does not necessarily mean that that agent worked hard to get you that best price. So feel free to shop around. I say be a secret shopper. Go to lots of opens in your area and just see how that that agent reacts uh, at an open house. Are they engaging? Are they telling you too much? Are they saying, oh, this couple's going through a divorce. This is going to be a quick one. Mm. You know, get your price in. Mm, mm, so, mm, you know, mm. make sure you have those conversations as as a secret shopper and see who works best for you. Mm. Shell, what, what mistakes do you see vendors making in those early days of selling? You know, I think we, we, we always sort of think of you sort of being on that buying side, but now as an agent you are obviously seeing people sell. What are some of the mistakes that you that you may have seen? Oh, look, I just want to clarify it. Of course, television is my first love. Um, <laughs> I, I am a qualified agent now, and that came about as a love of the industry. Um, I've always bought and sold properties ever since I was about, I think I bought my first house at about 22, um, and I've gone through a 100 since then. So I have been the buyer and I have been the seller, um, and now we have an agency here in Byron Bay of our own. So I'm, I'm getting the skills, um, but as you say, you know, I do come from that seller side a little bit more than, than working with prospective buyers. But I do say that the mistakes that I see are, of course, listening to family and friends. And I know they all have your best interests at heart. But as I say, properties like weather these days, this is what we talk about. Aussies love it so much and are so passionate about it that everybody will have an opinion. So just make sure that when you are filtering all of those opinions at the end of every day, that you have a clear idea of why you're going to market and what you're going to expect from that. I'd also say And we see it on the block a lot, knowing who your buyer is. And I ran this home to our contestants all the time. Who are you designing this house for? Or who are you renovating this home for? Or who is going to be your buyer? Because often we get the answer, oh, well, it's for young families. It's for downsizers. It's for kids, people with teenage kids. Well, that pretty much covers everybody. (laughs) So be very aware of who the buyers are in your market. And you'll also find that by going to other open houses and and see who's shopping around your particular area at a particular time. Um, The reason you moved into the neighbourhood might be very different to what's happening in your area now if you've been there for for 20 odd years in a a particular place. So know who the buyers are and and who's shopping in your place and make sure you cater for that with your styling. Um, With your, if you're going to do some little renos before you sell, don't ostracise anyone with, you know, your beautiful Marrakesh bathroom when that's not actually of interest to the people in your area at this time. Mm. Shelley Craft, thank you so much for joining us today. It was terrific talking to you, Shell. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for letting me wear this more um, professional hat today, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> it suits you. Bye, Shell. <laughs> See you. We 
We've talked a lot on this season of Property Unpacked about the rising property market around the country, but a new report is showing exactly what those surging prices are doing to prospective first home buyers. Released this week, Domain's annual first home buyer report shows the time to save for a 20% deposit on an entry-priced home has soared six months in Sydney and by 10 months in Canberra in just one year. Joining us to unpack the results and what it means for the broader market is report author Dr Nicola Powell, Senior Research Analyst at Domain. Nicola, welcome back to Property Unpacked. Hello Alice and thank you for having me uh, on again. Now Nicola, before we reach into this sort of confronting data, can you explain to us how the report is calculated? Yeah, so Domain's first home buyer report focuses on affordable property and a younger demographic. So we look at entry prices, which is called the 25th price percentile. This gives us a clear indication of prices at the more affordable end of the housing market, much more in line with a first home buyer's budget. We take the average income across our different capital cities of a couple aged between 25 and 34 years old. And what we do is we calculate the time required to save that all important 20% deposit by comparing the salary earnings with that entry level house and unit prices. We do make some assumptions. We assume that each person saves 20% of their post-tax income on a Mm -hmm. monthly basis and that they pop it into a standard online savings account. So we calculate that tax and we calculate that interest earned on savings as well. Yep. So this is really based on people who are deliberately trying to save for a house, not kind of just living their life and forgetting (laughs) to put money away for a deposit, obviously. Yeah, we focus really on that age bracket. So the average age for purchasing your first home in Australia is 35 years old. But obviously to make that purchase at 35, there needs to be savings and a savings plan in place to get to that point of purchasing. So we've really focused on that younger demographic um, and that income of that 25 to 34 year old bracket. Mm. I'm just lingering on that idea that the average age is now 35 when someone buys a home. That's extraordinary, isn't it? And I can only imagine how that number has evolved so far to where it is today from where it used to be a couple of decades ago. Absolutely. We have seen the average age increase of that first home buyer is 35. And look, I think it is challenging conditions for first home buyers, um, particularly to save that 20% deposit. And it's likely that we'll continue to see that average age increase. Why don't we just unpack what's going on? So Nicola, what are the key findings about how long it takes to save for a house or a unit? in our capital cities? So on average, across all of our capital cities, for an entry house, it takes four years and 11 months. On average, across our combined cities, it's up four months compared to the same time last year. For units, it takes three and a half years for a couple to save that 20% deposit. And a bit of a silver lining, this is stable year on year across those combined capital cities. But it is vastly different though, Alice, depending upon the city in which you're trying to purchase. Sydney, longest savings time for an entry house, seven years and one month for a couple, over 14 years for um, a single person trying to purchase. Oh, the time to save though has significantly increased over the past five years too with some big growth in Melbourne, Sydney, Hobart and Canberra also. What's going on there, Nicola, in in those cities? Yeah, so over the last uh, five years, we've seen the time to save a house in Canberra increase by 20 months, in Hobart increase by 22 months, in Sydney it was 11-month increase and Melbourne up 13 months. What we've seen in these four capital cities over the past 
five years is entry house price growth has exceeded wages growth. And I think this has become even more challenged due to low wages growth and weak saving rates as well. If we have a look at those entry house prices over the past five years, and honestly, Alice, these are some eye-watering figures. Entry house prices in Hobart have jumped 72% in the past five years. In Canberra, it's nearly 50%, slightly lower in Sydney, Melbourne. Sydney up 25%, Melbourne 36 so some big shifts there. Nicola, at my heart, I'm an optimist. So when I look through what your report has found, units are obviously more affordable. Is that a really good option for people in this cohort to think about that, knowing that it is that little bit less time to get their foot on the property ladder? Absolutely. Units had a significantly shorter savings time compared to houses. Um, While unit prices already are significantly lower in terms of their purchase price compared to houses, which offers obviously a quicker market access for first-time buyers, the real positive here is that savings time has remained stable over the past year across the combined capital cities. What we've found for unit price growth, it's been weaker across most of our capital cities compared to house price growth. So what that has meant is it's translated into quicker deposit savings time in Sydney and Melbourne. And in Brisbane, Adelaide and Canberra, it's remained stable for first-time buyers over the past year. So it definitely provides better buying conditions. And all of our other cities, there's only been a modest increase of one or two months um, savings time compared to this time last year. Mm. So I think the thing is, if people are feeling really despondent by some of the numbers that you were talking about, a unit could be a really good alternative for people who are that hungry to get into the market sooner than later, um, knowing that eventually that could become part of what ideally becomes a bit of a portfolio for them to at least get equity in the market. Absolutely. And I think as well, you know, when we have a look down into the regions, the areas within our cities, we found that the further away from the CBD, the quicker access to the market is. So the, the shorter the savings times to, to save that 20% deposit. And I think as well, you know, one of the things that's really been a, a game changer for some first home buyers, which I think is really an answer to affordability, is the way that we work has changed over the last year. So what that means is is for those that are able to work from home or at least do a hybrid, they are able to look further afield, perhaps into regional areas or out in um, our uh, city fringes to gain um, a quicker access to the market in order to get that lower entry price point. And is your feeling, Nicola, that regional prices will keep potentially going up? So if people are in that camp and looking further out of the metro cities, they do need to sort of go earlier than later and to see more profound price growth wash out to the regional areas? I think at the moment what we're certainly seeing is focus has been on our capital cities now. And so we're seeing that rate of growth in our cities outperform uh, regional areas. I think we're likely to continue to see price growth in regional areas. But I think in terms of bang for buck, Um, you tend to find it's much greater in regional Australia compared to our capital cities. Mm. Nicola, what effect does an increase in the time to save for first home buyers have on the overall or or broader property market? Ultimately, it means... um, you know, first home buyers, their access to market is going to take longer. And I think it's particularly challenging during periods of strong price growth, particularly when we've had prices uh, rising at the fastest rate in decades. So I think, you know, when you have a look at some of the initiatives in place in the market, gaining access to the market sooner could be advantageous for some buyers. 
When we have a look at, say, the federal government's first home loan deposit scheme, which allows a first home buyer to gain access to the market with as little as a 5% deposit without incurring the additional cost of mortgage lenders insurance, there's clear um, advantages to this scheme because it allows access to the market sooner and particularly when we've got rising prices. When we have a look at the time to save, it shaves years off the time to save for an entry price deposit. Nicola, just finally, getting your crystal ball, leaving your crystal ball on the table, you've obviously got it now. Where do you see things for first home buyers heading in the next 12 months then? We're already starting to see a decline in first-home buyer numbers, so the number of home loans that are being financed to first-home buyers. And I think rising prices are already squeezing first-home buyers out of the market. They made a comeback during the height of the pandemic last year. What we've started to see this year is increased activity from investors and owner-occupiers. So I think, you know, the financial hurdle to save that lump sum deposit under rapidly rising price conditions is challenging. It's going to continue to be challenging for uh, first-time buyers. But I do, you know, I, I do want to look at both sides of the spectrum of affordability. There's mortgage repayments and there's saving a deposit. So low interest rates have actually improved the affordability of mortgage repayments. So as a percentage term of your income, it takes less to meet that mortgage repayments because interest rates have been tumbling in recent years and they're at historic lows. But it's also those low interest rates have been a key driver of property prices. So it ultimately makes it harder to save for a deposit. So I think, you know, we're already buying our first homes later in life. As we mentioned at the beginning, it's 35 years old in Australia and it's likely to continue to edge higher. And Nicola, what happens then in the years to come? We know the RBA will eventually um, increase interest rates. What happens in scenarios like that for first-time buyers if, if they sort of buy in a year and then interest rates go up the year after that or something? It does make it all the more challenging, doesn't it? There'll be some homeowners or prospective first-home buyers that have never experienced an interest rate hike. It's been such unusual conditions where we've seen, you know, um, interest rates tumble over multiple years. I think it's about making sure a first-home buyer has that buffer for increasing uh, mortgage repayments as a result of increased interest rates. While we've got low interest rates at the moment and it's unlikely to move higher, we've already got some of those fixed term mortgage rates moving higher at the moment. So I think it's about having that buffer and factoring in that interest rates will eventually move higher. And I'm sorry to sound all boring about that, but I also think it's a really good way for people just to put an extra bit of saving away each month if they start assuming rates will go up now, and then paying off that little bit extra of their mortgage if they can um, as soon as they enter the market. I think it's a great habit to be able to get into if one can. Absolutely. That's a very smart tactic to have. And I think particularly when you look at how we've lived our lives over the last 12 months, you know, we've got record high levels of savings. Um, We're all spending less. We're not going to be having international holidays for some time. So I think it's about really utilising the additional savings that we all have um, and using it smartly. Mm. Nicola, that was great talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Property Unpacked, a podcast by Domain. If you like what you've heard, hit subscribe and have new episodes delivered to you as soon as they drop. Our executive producer is Adrian Lowe with production by Hayley Cools and editing and mixing by Dan McHugh. For more property news, advice and market insights, head to domain.com.au or download the Domain app. Thanks for listening. Chat to you soon.